Well, what's up, City Light Lincoln Church? It's good to see all of you guys this morning. My name is Austin, and I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, man, if this is your first time coming here this morning, thank you for coming. I, I hope that you feel loved and cared for and respected and welcomed here. Uh, we're spending four weeks in uh, our core values. We have four core values, uh, down, up, in, and out, all directional arrows to make it easy to understand, and uh, we're going through those. So this is week two. Uh, last week, Mo preached on down, um, which is the gospel, the first core value, and he, and he preached it through Romans chapter three, and basically what he taught us, super encouraging news, is that none of us can be perfect on our own, okay? And uh, uh, But there's good news in that Jesus is, is that perfect per- We need someone to be perfect for us, and Jesus is that person, amen? And so um, that's Jesus. He's the only person that can make us right with God. It's, we call it the great exchange. Jesus says, hey, give me your sins, and in turn, I'll give you my righteousness, right? This beautiful gospel, that's down uh, the core value of every other core value, the fact that God came down for us through Jesus. Uh, and so this morning, we get to see the response to down, which is up, right? And, and so that's the value of up, and basically, we're just going to look at what it, be, what it looks like to become more like Jesus, right? So we'll be in Colossians chapter 3 this morning, but before we jump in, I just want to ask a question. Um, when is the last time you acted completely contrary to who you really are? Okay, like when's the last time you acted totally different than who you really are? Well, uh, a couple weeks ago, I took my wife and my daughter out to lunch in McDonald's. I treat them right, okay, I make sure they're healthy, okay? They're fed well, they're, they feel love and respect. So uh, we're at McDonald's, and uh, as I'm pulling up, a truck full of people pulls up next to me, and the lady um, opens her door on this windy day, and it just smashes my car, okay? Like hits, I mean, are you cringing inside at that moment? Like I'm like, ah! And so I'm with my wife and my daughter, and so I get, I, you know, I get around, I look, and I just see this clear dent in my car, okay? Now, um, before I explain what I did next, I want you just to think about who this happened to, okay? Austin Edwards, all right? Like, fairly, like, joyful, kind of fun, playful, like, carefree, like, we just do what we're going to do, you know, like, pastor, believer, all about grace, Austin, okay? So you might expect a certain reaction from me if that happened, right? Um, well, I, I'm like looking at this thing, right? And, and, and the people are just kind of like, sorry, and they just look really confused. So I'm like going out there, I'm like breathing on my car, trying to like, you know, like buff it out. It doesn't buff. Like it's there. Jesus let it happen, okay? And, and, and so I'm praying over it. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't pray over it. But uh, I'm like, dang it. Like what is happening to this thing? And so, and they're just confused. I'm at a loss of words. I'm angry inside. I'm like, why? Like, wouldn't you be mindful of this? And so um, in that moment, I, I, I didn't ask them how they were doing. I didn't ask them what their names were. I didn't ask them uh, if they know about Jesus or if they've heard of City Light. I literally had an opportunity to show grace and I chose not to. And I just didn't, I barely even looked in the eyes and just said whatever and walked away. Like, and so as I sit down on my delicious meal, uh, I'm sitting there, I'm eating, and I just felt like God was pressing on my heart, and he told me, Austin, that's not you. Like, that's not the Austin I know. And so literally, in my, I just felt so, like, convicted. I was like, man, so I walked over to him, just said, hey, I want to let you know, like, I'm so sorry for, for reacting that way. Like, this just, just the car, it was a total accident, so please forgive me for not acting the right way. It wasn't me. And, uh, but man, have, if you had a moment like that, where you've acted totally contrary to who you really are, if you're a Christian in the room, have you wondered, man, if, if, I'm, if I'm really a new creation in Jesus, like if he made me new, then, then why am I acting like my old self? 
You know what I mean? Like, what, like you have to answer that question because it happens in all of So if I'm a new creation, why am I acting like my old self? And we think, man, I know Jesus is better. I know he's the only thing that will satisfy me. And yet I find my heart repeatedly going back to things of this world to satisfy me. Uh, we know that our money should be used to bless people and, and expand the kingdom of God. And yet we find ourselves cutting our giving so that we can have nicer things. Why is that? You know that drinking won't stop the depression or make it go away, and yet you find yourself at the bar or at a party every single weekend. Why? There's a gap in all of us between our identity and our activity. The gap is between who we are and what we do. Why? And the explanation to that problem, hopefully as you're thinking, is the process of sanctification. See, sanctification is a biblical word, a bigger word, but a biblical word that means becoming more like Jesus, okay? Uh, so so uh, it's basically sanctification bridges the gap between who we are and what we do, and that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. So hopefully that gets your attention. Hopefully you see this is something we need to make sure we understand and we, and we get. So we're going to look at the core value of up. How to align who we are with what we do by the grace of Jesus. Um, So let's jump in and read Colossians 3. We'll read verses 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. My first point is seek Jesus because he's better than this world. Seek Jesus because he's better than this world. Now, Paul, uh, the writer of this book of Colossians, is using basic logic to help us understand why we should seek Jesus. Okay, so if you've read through your Bible, kind of understanding more about it in a grander scope, the Bible isn't filled with all these empty commands with no explanation to why we should follow them. Okay, like he, he, there, there's always a reason, and that reason is going to be responding to the beauty of the gospel. We're just saying like, oh, so why should we? Well, because Jesus did it for you, right? Like, so basically what that means is that Jesus is never going to invite us to form upward unless we first understand he came down, right? Jesus is never going to call us to seek him unless we first understand that he has relentlessly sought us right? So that's gospel motivation, and we need it in everything we do. So in verse 1, if you can look at it, Paul says, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, right? So he says you've been raised with Christ, and then in verse 4, he says that Christ is your life, so that's good news, right? But then in verse 3, it seems like it throws a wrench in there, and it says you've died, Wait, 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 Austin, are, you, are, are we alive or are we dead? Which, which is it? Well, both, right? Way to start out at 9.30 a.m. morning. You know, like, wait, what do you mean I'm dead? Not? Well, let me explain. Um, when you uh, place your faith in Jesus, your old self died, okay? The rebellious, ignorant, prideful old you died. Romans 6.11 says, you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ, Okay, so old self died, and that's good news because that means that sin no longer has the power over your life. Like sin no longer reigns over you. Your sin can no longer separate you from God. You are eternally and perfectly kept by Jesus, and your sin no longer defines you, right? Jesus defines you. The old you died with Christ. But, but that news gets even better, right? Because not only have you died with Christ, verse 1 says you've been raised with Christ, 
okay? So you have a new life, a new passion to live your life, a new power to fight sin, a new motivation to walk through your day, a new and gracious king to guide and protect your life. Everything changes when you place your faith in Jesus. Absolutely everything. That's amazing news. We are dead and alive at the same time. Dead to sin and alive to Christ. And that's what Paul is reminding us, right, of why we should seek things that are above. Because Jesus raised us from the dead. Like, like the fading things of this earth will never fill us up the way that Jesus can. They'll never do for us what Jesus can do for us. C.S. Lewis, the writer of Chronicles of Narnia, formerly you know, known from that, and so many other amazing books, he wrote this quote that was huge. It says, If we find ourselves with the desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Isn't that awesome? I mean, if, you have, if you've searched every avenue of life, I mean, you've done all these things, and yet you're not satisfied, the most probable explanation is that you were made for another world. This world isn't supposed to satisfy you. So in light of that, it makes sense that Jesus' call for us to seek him isn't out of a tyrannical rule, right? Not saying, I want all the power. No, it's out of an overflowing heart of love that says, you won't find what you're looking for out there. You're not going to be sad. You can search, but you're chasing the wind, right? And so all of the drinking won't somehow make the depression go away. All the relationships in your life won't last forever. Friends will fail you. Family will hurt you. Money could fade in a second. The stock market could crash. You could lose your job. Your house could burn down. You could get in a car accident. Your car could break down. Your sports team could have a losing season. Your lover could leave you without any explanation. Nothing in this world will satisfy you the way Jesus does. He's better He's eternal. He's unfading. He's a giver of life. He's generous. He brings joy. He's unfading. He doesn't hurt. He only heals. He's consistent. He's victorious. And listen, he doesn't stick around because you have something to offer him. It's amazing. There's no one like our God. He's the giver of extravagant, no strings attached, unconditional love. And so if you've placed in your faith in Jesus my question is, why would you want to look anywhere else? Does that make sense? I, and I know it's tempting, but I'm just saying, reminding ourselves, Jesus, you're so much better. You're the only well that I could go to to ever go back and know that I am not going to thirst again. That's what Paul's saying. Hey, church, the guy that died for you, the guy that loves you, the guy that laid his life down for you, the guy that took your sins and gave you new sins, that guy, you should maybe focus on him. He's unlike anything else. Let him be your focus. Let him be your joy. Now, you might be asking, okay, Austin, I get that, man. Well, what does it look like to, to, to actually seek Jesus? What, right? What does that look like in my life? Well, my wife and I have a Jack Russell Terrier named Ellie. She's a year and a half, and she's awesome, right? And um, about a year ago, my wife bought her this little ball. Nothing special. This is a little ball. And Ellie cannot be separated from this ball. Okay, like, I'm, leg- I'm being serious. She, when she's eating, it's next to her bowl, okay? If you hide it, she will get stressed out and never stop searching for it. Like, it gets, it's great. My wife hides it. There's something dark in her heart because I get home from work. What's Ellie doing right now? She seems panicked. I've been hiding her balls right here. 
Okay, girl, we need to go walk through some things right now because Ellie is not okay in her health, you know? So anyway, Ellie loves that ball. When she sleeps, she literally sleeps with it in her mouth, okay? Like, she loves that. My wife and I are convinced when she dreams, it's her in that ball or just a ton of balls. Like, I don't know, but I'm convinced. It, but, but listen, I, I think this is actually maybe a good understanding of what it might mean to seek Jesus. What if all we could think about was him? What if we never wanted to go anywhere without him because we just love him so much? What if we constantly were reminded and reminding ourselves that he is the perfect lover of our souls? What if we were as enthralled with Jesus as Ellie is with her ball? I know it seems crazy, but man, maybe that's what he's calling us to, to seek him, to say, man, if you know that this is the only thing that's going to give life, why would you want to mess around with anything else? Be amazing. So I just want to ask you, what are you seeking? Like, what, 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 what plays in your mind over and over and over again? What do you desire? And whatever it is, if it's not Jesus, can I ask, is it better than him? Is it worthy of your seeking? Is it worthy of your desire? Listen, the best strategy to seek something, by the way, isn't to convince yourself that everything else is bad. That's not your job. The best way to seek something, like, like our, our hearts naturally will see what we think is beautiful, right? We'll naturally run to. No one has to train you to look at something beautiful. No one has to teach you to look at something that's beautiful. So if you earnestly want to say, Jesus, I want to seek you, my best encouragement is to plead with him, God, make yourself the most beautiful, precious, and worthy thing in my life right? And then it'll seem natural. You don't have to work for it. It's just like, yeah, I'm going to look at what's beautiful, and you're beautiful, so therefore I'm going to look at you. It'll stop having to seem like hard work, and it'll seem like a response, because Jesus loves you. Now, um, though seeking Jesus should be natural, because he's beautiful, it takes real effort and a real battle to kill sin, which leads us to our second point. And so let's look at Colossians 3, 5 through 11. Paul writes, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not uh, Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. My second point is kill sin because you're a new creation. Kill sin because you're a new creation. Now, I grew up in Southern California, uh, but moved to McCook, Nebraska when I was 12 years old, okay? City kid coming into a small town uh, like Nebraska town, right? And so I'm out at my buddy's farm, and we're riding four-wheelers. I'm thinking I'm living it up, and we come across a rattlesnake. Now, I want to tell you guys that I was calm, but I wasn't, okay? No judging. We in church, okay? Like, so don't judge me for that. But so I'm like a little nervous, and my buddy just speeds up and runs the thing over. Like, dude is a legend, okay? I'm like... We didn't do that in, in California. Like, we got burritos, and we went to the beach. Like, dude, dude is running over us. So the thing's dead, right? But it's still kind of twitching like the snakes do. So I'm kind of freaking out. I'm about to make a beeline. The dude just drops his shovel and cuts his head off. And I'm like, okay, I never saw that, you know? And, and, and he just looks at me kind of with a smirk, and he's like, just got to make sure it's dead. Yeah, it is. Yeah, you— <laughs> 
it was dead before, and now it's really dead. Like, you got, you, like, extra killed it. You killed the kid, you know? And, like, and so, anyway, but, but, but I know that's funny, but, like, I think it gives us a good picture of what Paul is inviting us into in Colossians 3. In verse 5, when he says, put to death, therefore, what's earthly in you, that put to death is really strong language. He's saying, kill your sin. Like, like, like make sure it's dead. Chop its head off, right? Like, be done with sin. And, and listen, if you've ever tried to fight sin, if you're in the room and you try to fight sin before, you know it's hard. Like, it's really hard. And I know this isn't encouraging, but it doesn't get easier, right? Like, you have to continue to fight it. Um, Paul, who wrote half of our New Testament and wrote this book that we're reading, Colossians, he, he talks about his battle with sin. And in Romans chapter 7, he's going back and forth and back and forth and saying, man, I'm doing what I don't want to do. Like, like, why? You know, like, I, I want to do this, but I'm not doing it, and I can't do it, and why, why am I doing it? It's... It, um, we have to answer the question. So I want to be as clear as I can with this, okay? I thought through this as much as I could to try and say, how do I briefly explain this idea to you? Although sin has no power to affect your eternity, because Jesus has paid for that sin, it does have power to affect your here and now, okay? Does that make sense? Um, uh, and so the battle that we're going to face is between our spirit and our flesh, our, our old self and our new self, right? So though God has made us new creations and given us his Holy Spirit, we still possess the old nature in us that wants to war against our new self, okay? So new creation, and yet we still got that old nature in us with the sinful habits that wants to grind against it and for you to fall back into your old self. The flesh is really any affection or desire that runs contrary to God. And so what your sin will do is it'll want to distract and draw you away from God. But what we need to do is starve it, right? Like kill the old desire, make, put it to death and strive towards Jesus. And so on a really practical level, let me set your expectation right. You will have soul level conflict. There will be a battle. And that's, that's not a bad thing either. Like the danger is if, you're, if you don't feel like you're battling, Okay. The danger is if you don't feel like you're battling. There should be a battle going on. The Spirit of God has come to make war on our flesh and to kill that. And so if you feel like your heart's a mess and you're battling and you're up against the corner and you feel like you're trying to fight and struggle, take heart. Your soul should be a battlefield. Like you will run and grind. And so listen, the sign of whether you are seeking Jesus is not if you don't have any bad desires. It's that you're at war with them. Okay? Like, you will have bad desires. They will come. You will have temptation. But the sign that you're seeking Jesus isn't that you won't have those. The sign is that you're actually fighting them. You're actually battling against them. I know this doesn't sound like good news, but the, tempt- like, the temptation to fight the flesh or the temptation of the flesh will last until Christ returns or brings us home. Like, that's just practically what will happen. We'll battle it on this side of earth. Paul invites us to wage war on our sin. But listen, here's the good news. We're fighting a battle that's already won, right? And that amazing, like Jesus already paid for our sins eternally. He already defeated Satan, defeated sin. He raised from the grave, proving that, no, the battle is over. I've paid for sins. They can no longer separate me. The real battle that, we're, that matters, Jesus has defeated and won. What our job is now in sanctification, in becoming more like Jesus, is just to realize more and more of the truth, is to realize and live out of that victory that Jesus purchased for us, right? 
So your battle, the battle's already won, but your battle is believing the battle's won and fighting to realize that you're a new creation. It's amazing. That sounds way better, right, than trying to say, hey, man, it's on you. You better, you better work hard, get your stuff together, or else. No, we're saying Jesus has already purchased you. You just got to believe it. You just got to walk in that reality. And so in verse 5, Paul is telling us to remember we don't live for earthly things, right? Seek Jesus. He's, he's better. And so he goes on to list five sexual sins, and then in verse 8, he lists five social sins. And we don't have time to dig into every single one, but I'll dig into a few on each section, and hopefully they'll make sense to us. The first one is sexual immorality. Okay, now sexual immorality is speaking to any sexual or lustful intercourse outside of marriage. Okay, simply put, uh, and one of the biggest misconceptions that I think Christians have or just people have in general is that sex is bad. But that's like opposite of the truth. Sex is good and God is for sex. Can I get an amen? amen. A couple of my dudes, the dudes were kind of strong in there. I don't know. But anyway, uh, so, so sex is good, right? God is for sex. It's amazing. Uh, in the Old Testament, there's a book called Song of Solomon that's basically celebrating marital sex, like ro- romance. It's amazing. And, um, uh, but we have to understand God made sex and he made it within the context of marriage. And so my, my wife and I, we um, have... Uh, we dated for about a year and then spent the next year engaged uh, before we got married. So we were, married for about, we're together for about two years before we got married. And this was a massive struggle for us. We felt like, you know, we're trying to uh, live for Jesus and fight sin. And it just felt like so difficult. And so we'd set boundaries, we'd set rules, and then we'd bend them. And then it felt like, and then we'd kind of rationalize, say, well, that's not that bad. You know what I mean? And all of this stuff. And so we came to a point where we're like, man, we just can't even kiss anymore. She's like, you're looking too good for me all the time. And I'm like, I know, you know. No, I'm just kidding. Do you blame her? I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, but, but anyway, so, uh, you know, she's going crazy. I'm trying to like, what do I need to mess up my hair a little bit? But I'm uh, uh, getting right with Jesus. And so, so we're fighting it. My girl's struggling. No, I mean, as if like it wasn't me. But, uh, anyway, so, so we're fighting sin. We're like trying to seek Jesus and, and, and see his glory and, and live a pure relationship. And so we're battling. And we just realized, man, we got to stop. We got to stop kissing. We can't even get on the on-ramp because we're going to go on and go on the freeway, right? Like, you're just like, we can't even go there. And so, um, and so we just stopped kissing completely for the last nine months of engagement. So for nine months before um, I married my wife, we didn't kiss. And it was so special on our wedding day when I got to kiss her. And it was so special that night. You know what I mean? And so we just believe, okay, the desires that we're having right now, we believe that they're better placed in marriage. They'll be better experienced in marriage. So it wasn't like, I mean, like, it, we just had to believe that Jesus is better in that. And it was, and he is. And uh, it was amazing, and it was so fruitful in our relationship to fight sin together and to choose to walk in purity. Um, and so, uh, friends, I'm with you in this struggle. I know it's hard. I know it's super difficult, but I promise you it's worth it. Jesus knows what's best. He created it, and he wants you to walk in what's best. The next thing is impurity on the list, impurity. And impurity means to be stained or corrupted. All right? Now, we've heard of like impure motives. Well, there's an invading impurity of our view of God and our view of sex, right? Like, we, we know this. Like, in one of the most primary instances is pornography. So, um, uh, this is a struggle for both men and for women all over. And the average age for a kid to be exposed to it is 10 years old. Okay, uh, so it's running rampant in our community, in our culture, in our world, all over. It's an epidemic. Um, every single second, $3,000 is spent on pornography. 
3,000, 6,000, 9,000, 12,000, 15,000, as we are speaking right now. And you might say, I've never spent a dime on pornography. Well, there's ads and marketing, and that's what they do. So maybe you've never actually clicked in and spent something, but if you've went there, you've included on the clicks and the views. Like, yeah, you have. You have played into that. And so what that means is that every day, $250 million are spent on pornography. Every year, over $91 billion are spent on pornography. So what that means is that per year, Pornography makes more than the NFL, the NBA, and the MLB combined. Combined. How, how sad is that? Right? Like, that we, we've let our culture just, just totally destroy the view of, view of sex and view of God. I've done it, right? Like, we've all, we we're guilty of, of playing into this view of, of the uh, um, impurity of sex and of God. And I'm just thinking, man, Why? Like, it, it's so wild to me. And so um, what we've done is we've taken the gift of sex and we've just totally done our own thing with it. And it's been, now it's contorted and it's cheap and it's accessible 24-7 and we've corrupted the gift of sex. We've taken it, made it cheap. The, and listen, the problem with sex, by the way, isn't that we think too much about it, but it's that we think too little of sex, right? It's cheap. It's, it's disposable. I'll do it. It's just physical. No, it's not. It's much more than that. We, we make it common and cheap, and so I'm, I'm just compelling you. Man, if you're in the room and you've struggled with that and you're walking through that, man, put that to death. Not because, not even, I won't even say, not even because it's bad. We know that it is because Jesus is better. Yeah. Studies show that an addiction to pornography is just as difficult to overcome as an addiction to cocaine. So it has a grip. Don't lie to yourself and think you're okay and you can stop. Like, be honest with yourself and stop now. And the last word is covetousness. Now, um, do not covet is the 10th commandment and a list of the 10 commandments. And it's the idea of wanting more, right? Like we functionally believe this lie that if I just had this one more thing, then I'd finally be happy. And it's obviously a lie. And the way this plays out in sexual sin is that I'm assuming that for most people in the room that have struggled with pornography, it probably started with a picture, right? Like in the picture it turned into a video and the video wasn't enough so now you went to a harder video and a harder video went into a darker video and the darker video went into um, uh, interaction with the person and it never stopped and you keep wanting more and more and more. And, and in marriage, man, this is poison, right? The way this manifests in marriage is that you start to go bored with your wife and with sex in marriage and you start to look elsewhere to fill whatever kind of gap in your heart that you think sex will fill. It's, it's destructive, and Jesus is compelling us to fight that. Friends, some of you in the room may have never even seen a rated R movie or kissed a person, and yet there's still sexual sin in all of us that we need to put to death. And you might be wondering, okay, Austin, well, how? Man, I've been struggling and fighting, and, and there's all this stuff. Well, um, 1 Corinthians six eighteen, Paul says, flee from sexual immorality. You want a verb to understand what to do? Flee from it. You want to know what that looks like? Uh, literally, one of my best friends in college was making out with his girlfriend in her car, felt convicted, opened the door, and ran away. <laughs> Dude took that verse seriously, okay? And if you're a girl, you're like, that doesn't sound good. Well, he's actually loving you more than if he stayed, okay? So uh, what does that look like? Uh, I have a friend struggling with pornography, literally uh, in his fourth floor of his apartment, grabs his computer, chucks it out the window, done. He ain't going to look at pornography anymore because he don't know how. Like, there's no, he doesn't have a means to do it, right? Like, I have friends every single week that, that um, they send me emails or I get emails from them if they look at anything bad. 
And it takes, it takes effort to kill sin. You have to flee from it tangibly. And, and, and so um, with all that, D.A. Carson is a pastor and author, and he says, we will never drift towards holiness. In other words, you will not naturally become more like Jesus. The current that's pulling you is away, not towards. Okay, so being in the culture, being in the world, we have to acknowledge that and know that. And so um, with all, with all un- understanding that, man, we... We need to not just fight sin, but fight to be more like Jesus, right? We need to tangibly say, Jesus, like, I want you to be ultimate in my life and me to see you as glory so I can say no to all these other things. Fighting sin and fighting to be more like Jesus is difficult, but I promise you it's worth it. Now, Paul transitions from sexual sins to social sins. He says, you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Uh, if you thought you were doing well sexually, uh, I think you're going to be convicted socially. Uh, but um, anyways, the first one is malice. And just real briefly, malice is ill will towards someone, okay? Um, and so basically, often you often want like injury or, or revenge. And so the way this plays out is like um, someone does something wrong to you, you hope something bad happens to them. Okay, so your boyfriend breaks up with you, you're like, I hope he gets cheated on next time, you know, and you might be like, oh, I'm good, I don't say that, let's be honest with our thoughts for a second, okay, like, we've thought some things, like, I, I want that person to get hurt, or, or, that's malice and ill will towards one, another person. Next one is slander. Um, slander's a big one, probably even just in this room. So how many of you guys love to vent? Okay, like being honest, like, yeah, we got some hands up, right? Um, the honest ones. Uh, so, yeah, you, we'll go to the next one. You'll get committed to the next one. But anyways, uh, um, uh, have you ever vented about your in-laws or your roommates or your siblings or your family or friend? Like, you, you might be guilty of slander. Slander is talking badly about someone or attacking the, his or her character. Okay, and so, listen, we preface these statements really in a really fun way and say, like, I love them, but... Or, or he's a really good guy, but, and really all that is is just to disguise to say something bad about the person. And that's not Jesus' love, right? And so knowing all this, what ha- there's a right way to bring up conflict to a person, and there's a right way to bring up conflict about another person. But if you have no intention of going to that person and walking them through it, then it's slander and you're guilty of not seeing them the way Jesus sees them. And the last one is do not lie. Wait, a couple of y'all that didn't raise your hand. We're going to talk. We're going to take this to the Jesus. Okay, now, uh, but anyways, uh, lying is anything short of the absolute truth. Lying, anything short of the absolute truth. So I find it actually really, really easy to tell most of the truth. I'm really good at that. But I'm really good at also tell, like, kind of taking a little off or adding a little bit. Okay, let's be honest. And so what happens in, in all, if you're with me on that, what that does is it proves that there's an insecurity in our hearts that says you need to be, believe a lie about me so that you love me. Right? I need to make my life sound a little bit cooler so that you might like me. I need to not say this because if you knew that I did this, you wouldn't love me anymore. So I think we lie because we're believing a lie, right? And listen, God loves, God knows everything about us, every one of your darkest sins, every one of your thoughts, and yet he still loves you. And so we don't have to hide behind lies because verse 3 in Colossians 3 says that you're hidden behind the truth of Christ. Amen? I don't have to hide behind a lie. I get to hide behind the righteousness of Jesus. I'm perfect because of him. And Paul finishes encouragement in verses 9 and 10, and he says, Seeing that you put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. He, he uses this imagery of like taking off old clothes and putting on new clothes, right? Um, 
And there's a theme in the Bible that once, when someone's status changes, their clothes change as well. Um, so in Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son, he goes away, he runs, he's in um, utter rebellion, right? He's drinking of the world, he's in sin, he's dirty, dr- rock bottom, and he thinks, maybe I'm going to come home and maybe my dad will accept me as a servant. And so he comes home and what does his dad do? He puts a robe on him and he puts sandals on his feet and he puts a ring on his finger and he throws him a huge party. Why? The clothes represented that he didn't come back as a servant. He came back as a son. John chapter 20, Jesus Christ, like he, he just resurrected from dying, right? Three days ago and paying for sin, he resurrects and it says that he left behind his grave clothes. Like he left them behind. Why? Because he's not a dead hero. He's a living savior. He, he's a resurrected king overall. It changed, right? When your outfit changes, your status changes, and there's this beautiful story in the Old Testament in Zechariah 3. And so in this story, in Zechariah 3, it starts with Joshua the high priest. And, he, and he's standing before the Lord, and Satan is there. And he's just accusing him and throwing accusations and, and slandering him. And so if you've ever felt like that, where you're just in, the, in a center, and you feel like so, I mean, there's so many lies being thrown at you. This is what Joshua is going through. And he's there, and it says that he's dressed in these filthy garments. Like, he's in these, like, raggedy clothes, and Satan's just, slan- just slandering him and throwing all these accusations. And then the angel of the Lord says, man, take those filthy garments away. Take those off. And he says, behold, I've taken your iniquity away from you. I've taken your sin away from you, and I will give you pure vestments. I'll give you pure new clothes. It's beautiful. And so if you're in the room, if you're in the room this morning, and you're not a Christian— if, if you're in the room and you haven't placed your faith in Jesus, like, and you feel burdened by all the sin and the filthiness that you've walked through, Jesus is assuring you, you don't have to wear that anymore. You can take that off. I'll take it off for you. Like, if, you, if you're living under this burden of, like, I'm being accused and I have no defense and I'm in these filthy rags, Jesus is saying, let me take it. Let me take all of that away and let me give you pure clothes. You don't have to hide behind that anymore. I'll give you new ones, pure, white, unstainable. It's beautiful. Would you trust him to do that? And if you're a Christian in the room, just to quickly glance back at what you used to wear before Christ clothed you in righteousness. To look back and see, whoa, I I was clothed in in filth and and, in rags and in sin. And then he took all of that upon himself and gave you clothes of glory. And listen, every time you walk in sin, what's happening is that you're tangibly grabbing those clothes, those old filthy clothes, I know that are comfortable, and you're putting them on. No doubt, nothing will change. You're new. You have a new outfit on. It's beautiful and white, unstainable. And yet when we sin, we're forgetting that and we're putting on our old, comfortable sin patterns. We were formed in God's image in creation. And then we were deformed from God's image by sin. But by Jesus' grace, we can be transformed into the image of God. Is that amazing? Basically, in creation, you got a pure white outfit, and what happened is you took that, and your sin stained it, that you could never take it out, right? And then what happened is by Jesus' grace, he took those filthy rags, and now he gives you pure, unstainable clothes of righteousness to cover you. That's what he did. But how does that happen? Like, well, how do we get there? Well, verse 10 says that we are renewed in knowledge, 
Okay, so the better we know Jesus, the better we uh, have understood his scripture and have tattooed scriptures on our hearts and understand, man, what does your word say? How do you think about us? The more we'll live out of that reality. The more we'll be renewed, remembering, oh my gosh, no, the world will tell me I'm clothed my filthy rags and I'm my old self, but Jesus, you say I'm my new self. I'm the new creation with pure clothes covering me. And so to answer the question I asked in the beginning, why does what we do not align with who we are? Simply put, we forget who we are. We forget who we are. Like we forget we've been purchased by Jesus Christ on the cross. We forget that we're no longer slaves. We're no longer wearing filthy rags. You're clothed in righteousness if you trusted in Jesus. Listen, the only way to form up is to continue to remind yourself that Jesus came down. Sanctification, the process of becoming more like Jesus, is the thing that will bridge the gap between who we are and what we do. And then Paul ends in verse 11, and he says, Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all, and he is in all. Listen, human distinctions and differences shouldn't be a cause for separation, especially for the person who's placed their faith in Jesus, right? Like, if we use these distinctions as a reason to separate or be exclusive, we're operating out of the old self and not the new self. So you want to say, oh, no, you're, you know, you're a different color than me or, or a different background than me or a different affiliation than me. No, we're done. What you're doing is you're banking your identity on your old self and not your new self. And Jesus takes all these differences, right, that he goes through and he, and he celebrates them and he loves them. And so he's saying, no, there's not all these distinctions. Like, the new self lived out destroys the barrier of, of, of racial barriers, religious barriers, cultural barriers, and social barriers. Jesus redeems all of that and uses it as cause to celebrate. And we get to take communion this morning. And what I love about this is what, what we're doing is saying, you come from a different place, you have a different story, you have a different background, you have a different bent, and yet we're all coming together saying we need one thing in common, and it's Jesus. We all have one thing in common, and it's Christ. He's in all, and he is all. It's amazing. And so I love, love, love to invite you to take communion. As you see, the the bread is his body broken. The, The wine is his, or the juice is his blood shed for you. And so that's what you're symbolically saying. You look at the person next to you, man, I I need Jesus too. You're different than me, but we're we're united in Christ. You get to do it as a big family. And so if you're not a Christian, I'd love to invite you this morning, if you haven't placed your faith, to place your faith in him. Simply to say, Jesus, you're everything to me. You're all I want, and to place your faith in him. Take my sin, take my filthy rags, and give me the pure clothes. And if you are a Christian, I'd love to invite you to. Uh, and if you just place your faith in Jesus, come have communion with us. We'd love to invite you. And if you have placed your faith in Jesus, come and uh, enjoy this meal together. Amen? Let's pray.